This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA alum Ben Volk speaks with Bob Langert about his new book, The Battle to Do Good, Inside McDonald's Sustainability Journey. Bob, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about your tenure at McDonald's? Uh, You spent most of your career there, um, and I'm just curious how how your role changed over, over your, your tenure at McDonald's. Yeah, I first started working on some version of corporate social responsibility in the late 80s, uh, working for McDonald's, getting attacked on, on waste. And so that's, I started a long time ago, been working on these issues now for over 30 years. And, uh, you know, my career at McDonald's, I would say uh, it started out uh, in this area of the environment, and uh, it, was, it was kind of narrowly focused. And over time, uh, it expanded into so many other issues for the company beyond the environment, like animal welfare, nutrition, human rights, supply chain management. Probably the key difference that happened in the course of my career and probably anybody working on sustainability issues over a, a broad period of time is, uh, I would say in the early stages of the work for first 10, 15 years, in general, it was reactive. It was defensive and it was ad hoc. I mean, hey, we're getting attacked on waste, creating too much packaging. The polystyrene container is a, is an evil symbol of a wasteful society. These are all things that were happening in the late 80s. And uh, hey, Bob, can you help us You know, figure this out at McDonald's? Or, or mm-hmm. later on, the issue was, oh, we're not treating animals correctly and animals are being abused. There's accusations like that. So you're kind of thrown into the fire. How do we figure out how to come up with an animal welfare policy? But over time, and it probably took a little bit too much time, uh, we became much more proactive and strategic and really looking at this thing in an integrated way. And that didn't happen until probably uh, 2011, 2012. So I think that's the journey, and that's the journey that many companies have been under. And I'm very passionate in today's world that Sustainability should be looked at as an opportunity. It should be looked at as something strategic and make it a key part of your business. Don't do it just to do it and stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Can Would you be able to expand a little bit more on uh, what prompted this sort of change from a reactive to more of a, a proactive uh, uh, working with maybe other organizations or those that were um, fighting or activists against McDonald's? Um, is there something that changed with with you or even with McDonald's um, in this new thinking to be more preact- proactive? It had to do more with uh, McDonald's uh, leadership changing. And, uh, you know, we always worked on things of corporate responsibility, either as reactive or because, hey, you know, we had, we're good people and a good company and you try to do things the right way. But uh, finally, in the early 2000s, we had a CEO, Don Thompson, that finally said enough is enough. 
you know, we're getting attacked and we're playing defense all the time. I don't want to play defense anymore, he told me. He brought me into his office and said, Bob, get a team together. We want to get on our front foot. We want to define our own destiny. I don't want the strategy dictated by outsiders. Let's work with outsiders and stakeholders, but let's take a stand. Let's set some goals. Let's be bold and finally get on our front foot. And uh, it was just, uh, it was music to my ears. It was like a dream come mm-hmm. true to be given that assignment. I think a lot of it was driven, Ben, by the idea that our, our brand was really suffering and mm-hmm. uh, that the scores that we look at for brand health is what we called it. About half of them are long-term brand attributes. And almost all of those are related to some version of corporate social responsibility, how we treat our people, supply chain, animals, are we ethical, and questions like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't scoring well at all. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's not a sustainable business to have people not feel good about the food they're eating. So mm-hmm. I would say that that was the main business driver that put mm-hmm. us into the stage of uh, let's be Let's get this thing into the C-suite and have it be part of the top management agenda, which it has become. Mm -hmm. So it was a good mixture between leadership on the inside, uh, looking at this and and wanting to change, but then also uh, a little bit of a pressure from some consumers uh, externally. Well, absolutely. You know, uh, know, your, your brand is how your consumer views you. Mm-hmm. And if you're a consumer, no matter what you're doing, if we think we're doing good things, if the consumer doesn't see it, doesn't believe it, and has a uh, bad attitude towards us, that's going to uh, affect our business. And we also mm-hmm. had research to, to know that uh, for every our, – our market research people, experts, they thought and believed and they advocated that for every 1% improvement in brand health scores, we'll get 2% additional uh, sales. So, you know, we, we saw a benefit, you know, that benefit, by the way, though, it doesn't come overnight. It takes three, five, seven years to build up brand health and change, change all that. Uh, but that's the opportunity that we ended up seeing and absolutely very much mm-hmm. consumer, consumer driven is how I would put it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you recently wrote a book in uh published it was published in 2019 called or titled the battle to do good inside mcdonald's sustainability journey um what compelled you to write this book was there a certain event or was it could it be a mixture of your your time spent at mcdonald's well what compelled me mostly that is that in most of my career at mcdonald's when I would talk to people both outside the company and inside the company about things we're doing on the environment, packaging, animal welfare. Hey, we worked with Greenpeace to help save some of the Amazon and issues like that. People would always say, why don't I know this? That's mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of interesting. Why don't we, you know, why don't you share more about doing that? The number one complaint mm-hmm. I had within McDonald's for people is, we all McDonald's people felt like, why don't we share the story more of what we're doing? So I would mm-hmm. say that that's, that was compelling me that, hey, I lived through all this for 30 years. Plus, I, I felt there wasn't a uh, inside view of what it's really like to work in a company, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in an open, authentic, very honest way. And that's definitely what I was trying to. Uh, this is not a sugarcoating uh, book at all. 
uh, I hope anybody that reads it, and that's the feedback I've had. Some feedback is, well, how, how were you able to be so, you know, honest? Because uh, that's why I call it the battle to do good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the fact is, you know, we're, you're, you're getting attacked on certain issues. Uh, the company has to react. You have the external battle. You have the internal battle. You have your own personal battle trying to make all these things uh, happen. Mm-hmm. And I really felt that the literature on corporate social responsibility and sustainability was filled with really good books that were more, um, I'll call them technical or academic, mm-hmm. a kind of how-to books. So my book was written with reaching the common person. I wrote mm-hmm. it in a way that uh, it could be part of a book club. It could be, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my local book club did it. And we had 15 people there that had nothing to do with companies and corporate sustainability. And they just, they love the book. They go, I never realized that mm-hmm. all these things are happening in a company. So, yeah, I wanted to uh, tell a story that maybe has not been told before that I felt only I could tell it since I'm the only one that would live mm-hmm. through all these things. Mm-hmm. Now, your, your book is broken up into 12 different battles or, or chapters. Why were these chosen? And can you talk to us? Uh, and talk us through or highlight some of these battles? Well, sure. You know, I was looking for a, a structure for the book, and that's the structure I came up with uh, because there's so many things happened in over 30 years. So how can I break it down? So I thought the best way to do it would be just to take a look at some big issues, big, big issues like mm-hmm. waste, like, mm-hmm. you know, waste and packaging, like, you know, animal welfare, like nutrition and health, uh, like the Amazon rainforest, sustainable beef. Those are some of my chapters and what they're about. And I didn't want to be superficial about it. So I wanted to go into each of these issues. You know, let's say, well, the first one, the first chapter opens up with McDonald's being attacked on uh, waste and having too much packaging. The polystyrene container was uh, the symbol of all things bad. And I really wanted to take a deep dive into what that meant for the company, how outsiders were viewing us, uh, mm-hmm. how we reacted. You know, we ended up partnering with the Environmental Defense Fund uh, mm-hmm. to come up with solutions. My book is not a memoir. Uh, it's a serious piece of work where I, I interviewed 60 people. So when you're reading about our journey on how to deal with waste, it's not only the McDonald's perspective, our leadership at McDonald's, it's not only my perspective, but it's interviewing Fred Krupp, and getting his voice into that chapter. And Jackie Prince Roberts, who was our liaison day-to-day at the Environmental Defense Fund. So their viewpoint is part of this book. So when you read this and you read about mm-hmm. waste and packaging, you're getting a 360 viewpoint on what really happened. And I want to bring you in. I'm hoping that when you read the book, you you kind of you live the experience. I, I call it a page turner. It's like, oh, what's going to happen next? And oh, mm-hmm. you did this, and oh, they reacted this way, and you, this didn't work, and this did work. Oh, you had this internal conflict. How did we resolve that? Mm-hmm. So that was uh, why I did what I did, and uh, it uh, it was really uh, I thought it worked well for for me for the book. Mm-hmm. Were there any? chapters you enjoyed writing more than others or or had a special uh, uh, place for you with the work that you were doing at McDonald's? Yeah, I think, you know, all 12 are very good, by the way, Ben, but if I had a... (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) They're all my my favorites, but no, I have some favorites. 
the uh, my favorite probably is chapter two, which has to deal with animal welfare. And mm-hmm. first of all, that's an issue that is just so interesting how a retail company, you know, interacts with animal agriculture and, and how we deal with animals and the complexity and ethics of it is uh, enormous. But probably, you know, when I was given the assignment to come up with an animal welfare strategy for the company, I ended up uh, finding Dr. Temple Grandin, mm. who is such a special person. And for those in the audience listening to this, if you don't know Dr. Temple Grandin, you know, Google her. There's been a movie made about her. Claire Danes played her in an HBO movie. Mm-hmm. She's very charismatic. She's autistic. And she's like a uh, animal whisperer that really understands uh, how animals act and behave and how they move. And we ended up partnering with her and I partnered with her and I brought her into suppliers. So I just had the, the honor, the privilege to work with somebody that was really knowledgeable about animal welfare. And I worked with mm-hmm. her to in our supply chain to kind of implement her view of how we can improve animal welfare within McDonald's system. So I think, I think those are the chapters I like the best, the ones that have high impact in making transformational change and then working with very special people that make me just feel so proud to have worked with them. I mentioned the other one, the environmental defense fund, you know, and working Mm -hmm. with them. I mean, you end up, working with these NGOs that become your friends mm-hmm. and you admire them you know, so much. And, you know, when we changed packaging at McDonald's, by the way, we changed packaging for the entire industry. When we developed mm-hmm. animal welfare standards for our meat companies, they ended up going global to all of our competitors as well. So uh, mm-hmm. the Greenpeace chapter is probably my other favorite one. I mean, who would think that a kid from the South side of Chicago you know, growing up in a pretty narrow, sheltered environment, would one day have Mm -hmm. a hand in saving, you know, some of the Amazon through our work with Mm -hmm. uh, Greenpeace and uh, dealing with the the soy moratorium that we developed that I described in that chapter. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. those are, it was really kind of fun to relive it through writing the book and share it with an audience that's interested in that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you mentioned a little bit in your book about um, speaking with some of these different organizations, working with and collaborating with some of these organizations. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that process of, of how you guys were, how, how these organizations and, and, and Donald's were able to come together and come to some of these decisions? And um, I'm sure it was a process and I'm sure um, there was a lot that went into it. Um, could you explain a little bit about what that process looked like? Well, sure. I figured yeah, that was one of the biggest parts of my job, really. I mean, who can be an mm-hmm. expert uh, in a company on all these things that I've been talking about? It's really impossible. Mm-hmm. So really, a big part of my job was to find out people that could help us mm-hmm. learn and understand about certain issues and help us uh, figure out solutions. So we were, I was always searching for NGOs or academic experts that could really uh, help us. So, uh, mm-hmm. versus in the beginning, I have to admit, maybe it was more, you know, reactive, but I, mm-hmm. to me, the, the best example is our work with the world wildlife fund. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the fact is we, we actually went to them and said, Hey, can you work with us? Can you help us define what a sustainable supply chain means? Can you help us develop, a philosophy, a vision, and principles. 
can you do a materiality study as to what's most important? Can you help us develop a game plan for implementing sustainable beef? And uh, our, our relationship with the World Wildlife Fund was phenomenal. They are an outstanding organization that has, you know, plenty of scientists and people that care. And for a while there, they, they actually had an office in our headquarters, you know, helping us out and trying to understand that business. And uh, and I really like uh, groups like the WWF that, hey, they're not they're not a cakewalk. They're not there to be corporate friendly and, you know, give you a pat on the back, but they're not there to destroy you either. I always thought of these NGOs on a scale of one to 10 when I was thinking about whether we should work with them. And the one to four category is like, well, they're kind of corporate friendly. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, we don't need that for credibility. And then, you know, maybe the eight, nines and tens are a little bit, you know, kind of too uh, overboard and too uh, uh, radical in some of their approaches. So I always look for the sixes and sevens that were strongly independent, had a lot of science. Uh, appreciated the fact that companies can make a difference, but were willing to work with us and collaborate, but also willing to tell us, you know, what we needed to hear, not what we wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, so McDonald's is one of the largest, most recognizable and powerful companies in the world, I would say. And as the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. Do you think that McDonald's is a good role model for others and can they better lead by example? Well, um, a resounding yes. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no doubt. McDonald's is huge. Mm-hmm. The, brand, the brand is huge. I mean, imagine a company that serves 70 million people a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's almost 1% of the population in, mm-hmm. in the world. So, you know, it's reach and scope. And there, there is a responsibility, and uh, I thought, I thought we always knew that. You know, being being a leader in the industry, there's a, a lot of responsibility. Your competitors you know, look up to you, and they they tend to follow you what you do. And uh, I can give you a lot of examples where you know we were a role model, like on animal welfare. You know, when we made announcements on making cages bigger for age for cages bigger for laying hens and eggs or going cage free eventually. We limited just gestation stalls uh, for sows and pigs. Ends up that virtually almost all of our competitors made similar announcements. So those are the things that we can do and have done. And a big part of your question is, can you do more? You know, for sure. You know, this is an area that, there's some challenges out there. And uh, in, in my experience working at McDonald's over all those years, the, probably the toughest one to lead by example was uh, developing healthier food alternatives, for example. It just was, I, I remember our CEO at one conference saying he gave our team a, a B plus for effort and a, a D minus for results. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably my review of it as well. We really tried hard to come up with i mean health i mean mcdonald's was part of the whole obesity debate and blamed for for much of that and certainly you know i just talked about how big and how many people we serve so you know we need to be part of the solution uh but that one was tough you know we'd come up with all these healthy alternatives and we just couldn't sell them i'd be in meetings where the chief operating officer would say hey we we sold six salads 
on average per restaurant in a, in a day. And uh, you, you can't keep something on the menu that doesn't sell. And these salads were terrific. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's always a uh, effort and complex as to uh, where can McDonald's make the biggest impact? What's the most material issues and where do they have the ability to actually lead by example and make a change? And uh, I think they're, uh, I've been retired for four years now, but uh, I think they're, uh, they continue to press the uh, edges as to, you know, how they can make a difference and uh, what they call now a scale for good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, so after pretty recently retiring, um, you are now working with and have been connected with GreenViz. Can you tell us a little bit more about your column, The Inside View? Yeah, you know, when I retired from McDonald's four years ago, my first thought was, you know what, I want to stay involved with sustainability and, and help mm -hmm. uh, help others. Mm -hmm. And But I've always had a, uh, since I was a little kid, I've loved writing. I remember in grade school writing poems and short stories, you know, on you know, in the back of the room. And uh, I backpacked around Europe and college and, and wrote a little novel. So I've always, I thought I would be a, a journalist and a writer when I went to college and decided against that. So, hey, when I retired, I said, hey, I'm going to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the Green Biz organization. Uh, it's a corporate sustainability community of uh, people around the world that uh, share and commiserate with each other and learn from each other. And I love the whole leadership and attitude of the Green Biz Network. And so, yeah, I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to be a different type of journalist. Uh, for people that read my works, I, I try to focus on uh, the people, the successes, uh, the positive nature of what people are doing. I don't dwell in, in the negative. And uh, I try to be a, uh, uh, you know, very open in terms of sharing, you know, where, how people are making a difference. I don't explore the technical issues of what's happening or, or why, you know, I really like the idea of like, how do you make things happen? So I tend to explore, you know, uh, things related to leadership. And mm -hmm. So that's why I've been enjoying the, being an editor at large at Green Biz. Mm -hmm. So looking in the past as well as uh, currently in, in, in the work you do with Green Biz, what are some of the biggest challenges um, in day-to-day in -day work for sustainability? The biggest challenges in the day, well, I think uh, the biggest challenges for people in this area is to really appreciate progress that takes a little bit of a long time to make. Mm -hmm. you know, almost all the stories I, I shared with you today in terms of things that I thought were very important, they they take a life cycle of two or four or six years to make change. And so many people that are involved in sustainability, they get frustrated because uh, they, they want to make change overnight. Mm -hmm. Hey, so do I. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, to make change, and especially in large organizations, uh, it's just not going to happen overnight. So mm -hmm. I always had this philosophy that you have to have a combination of uh, the three Ps. You know, one is passion. Mm -hmm. One is persistence and one is patience. And when you think of having the passion 
But then, oh, having the patience for allowing others to kind of understand all this. Because, you know, you can't push sustainability in an organization. You have to bring people along. You have to not be the one to tell people what to do, but for helping people find it themselves. And then you need to be persistent every day, kind of moving the needle. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. for the practitioners of sustainability, I would say that that's a number one challenge, understanding that your work is a little bit more longer term. And then I would say the second thing that I would recommend for people to, to be thinking about in terms of trying to be successful is really in sustainability, it's, it's so much about influencing people and being persuasive and being a change maker and having you know, communication skills mm-hmm. uh, and and when i say communication I, I don't want the perception to be you know that this is all pr and soft skills no mm-hmm. you know once you develop a strategy for the company on sustainability you know it's all about getting people on board and getting them to want to do it and getting the motivation mm-hmm. and it's i remember talking to our ceo of mcdonald's back in the, the early 2000s when he, he did a big turnaround we brought him out of retirement to lead the company and the, he was very successful at that and i asked jim canlupo what's the biggest aha about your leadership at mcdonald's to do what you did he said bob i, I didn't realize that 99 percent of the job is communication mm-hmm. so that, that was interesting for me to hear so mm-hmm. uh, i think yeah, as i work as I talk to people and companies, I think that this is their challenge. Their challenge is to integrate this into the company and get the company's attention. It's not like the company leadership is against sustainability. It's more like, how do you get the, the mind share? You know, people are so busy. So we have to be influencer. We have to be change makers. We have to have the ability to get people's attention to drive the change that we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, as someone who just graduated from a, uh, sustainability focused program, um, as well as others who are wanting to get into and start a sustainability career, what, what, what advice would you have for, for those wanting to maybe even start in the corporate world, but, but go with a sustainability focus? Well, probably the best example I can give is uh, the people I hired. What? Why did I hire them? And uh, I remember uh, I had a young person coming out of uh, Stanford and Harvard, a very bright person. There's so many good people that care and want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And she, I think one thing is they have a really focus on what you're trying to do. Like our, in this case, she really wanted to make an impact on food and food systems and work for a big brand. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I could feel that passion. So I think narrow your focus would be one advice I would give to, you can't be all over the board. You know, when I talk to people, like, what is it that drives you? What is your passion? What do you want to make a difference for? And it can't be everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, right. then I think, I think you should be, extraordinarily knowledgeable that's kind of an obvious answer to to, mm-hmm. to to learning about that but then i think you need to really engage and join and network and and uh, you know don't don't network for the sake of networking which you know i can you kind of s- sniffed it out right away that people are just kind of checking the boxes but if you mm-hmm. really want to get involved you know be there raise your hand join groups you know stay extra get involved. You know, I would always look 
for that in somebody's experience? Are they saying that they're, you know, involved or they, I can actually see the evidence, you know, of that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess uh, it, it's, a, it's an area that so many people are wanting to get into. It's a very common, you know, question. And so how are you going to uh, stand out? And I think you're going to stand out as a candidate to get into a company if you exhibit these, uh, you know, these, these characteristics of uh, being curious. Companies want to make it, they want to hire difference makers. So mm -hmm. what do you bring to the table mm -hmm. that could kind of challenge the company? Don't, don't, don't interview or consider companies where you could just, oh, you know, just kind of uh, slide in and be invisible. No, tout the fact that here's, here's my record of getting involved and being a different thinker and innovation and some of the things I want to bring, you know, so people are looking for uh, difference makers and people that are creative and innovative and have skills that are empathetic and can listen and influence others. Some of the other things I talked about in our talk so far. Uh, mm. So if I was, uh, if I was that young again, those would be the areas that I would uh, work on. Wonderful. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. In building a sustainability framework and vision for McDonald's looking towards 2020, what do you see as the biggest sustainability challenge we have to take on in during 2020? Well, this is one of your tougher questions, I think, because uh, it makes it sound like you're looking for uh, a tactical answer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's probably not where I want to go. So I may disappoint you in my answer. I mean, uh, the obvious answer, you could say something like climate change, you know, which I'm mm -hmm. all about. But really right. for every for every company it's it's a different answer to be honest with you i mean for some mm -hmm. companies their their big issue could be you know something related to health and nutrition or another company that the best thing they could do is work on human rights or equality or diversity issues or you know some other issues related to you know supply chain or animal welfare so mm -hmm. i i think less of it as a uh, challenge of uh what is most important and material for a company. But I think it's the fact that I still see a big challenge for companies not seeing this as an opportunity. I still think there's uh, two, uh, two uh, little companies uh, developing proactive strategies that are mm -hmm. truly integrating it into the company and seeing it as an opportunity, not an area that to kind of stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, my answer is a broad one. Uh, mm -hmm. I still think I still think sustainability is a little bit of a niche, uh, a little bit of the idea that people have that it's a premium, it's going to cost more. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not you know, I'm talking big picture here, Ben. You know, if you look at the top 100, 200 companies in the world and the big brands, hey, they all have sustainability officers and uh, staffs and reports. But that's not what I'm addressing. That's that is just a small part of the corporate world mm -hmm. and uh, you know, when you think of all the other companies that are mid-size small size i think many of them struggle to want to take this on because they see it as a problem they, they see it as too complex to handle they see it as a, a cost and i want that eliminated so yeah, i think the mm -hmm. challenge and what i'm passionate about is that we should mainstream sustainability, like akin to quality management or akin to uh, having clean bathrooms like at McDonald's. Hey, do we pay 
extra because we spend so much time having clean bathrooms. No, it's just part of the business. And that's how I view of sustainability should be in more organizations sooner, you know, versus later. Mm -hmm. So getting rid of this idea that sustainability is more of an add-on and, and, and possibly could cost more, seeing it more, more as that niche, but, but getting rid of that and seeing it more as a material to business and, and um, important and uh, uh, yeah. essential to business. Absolutely. And if you were flying the wall in the C-suite of companies, what we should be seeing way more of is that uh, whatever the company calls it, um, some version of serving society is, is me, a better way of saying it than sustainability. Some of the language here is pretty, you know, complicated or mm -hmm. not, under, not understandable. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that this issue belongs in the C-suite, just like reviewing the, 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 the profit and loss. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it should be mm -hmm. uh, an agenda for them at all their meetings, all their boards. It should be part of the you know, investment calls. And it should be considered you know, just as important as uh, you know, how did your new product introduction go with the new sandwich? Uh, oh, you know, how is your sustainable beef program going? You know, so that's that's you know my dream scenario of where this uh, belongs. Mm -hmm. Well, those are all the questions I have for today. I, I just really want to thank you, Bob, for speaking with me and and us today, and I wish you the best in your future endeavors. Well, thank you, Ben. Great to talk to you about stuff that we both love. Yeah, absolutely. It's really great. Thank you. You can find The Battle to Do Good on Amazon.com and follow Bob's column, The Inside View, at GreenBiz.com. Join us for the next episode of The Impact Report on Friday, October 18th, when we'll be speaking with Rob Threlkeld, Global Manager, Sustainable Energy, Supply, and Reliability at General Motors. For our complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu slash MBA.